guessed you'll be really pleased to know, especially if you're like me, and particularly at winter, just feeling it a little bit at the moment, rest is a huge idea throughout the Bible. This idea that we find rest in God. It's before us, it's at our origins, it's in eternity past, when we think about creation and all that that is, on the seventh day God rested. It's way back in our eternal past and it lies in front of us. The idea of God's perfect rest, like proper rest. And he says to us along the way, in between that rest, if you like, that we should bear this in mind. We should live in light of that rest. So he says to his people, Israel, in the Old Testament, he says, I want you to set apart a day. I want you to make it holy. I want you to consecrate it so that you can remember my rest. I want you to get that into the rhythm of your life. Every seven days, have a rest and know that I give it. We have this idea of God's rest. If you've been anywhere around Christianity, if you're thinking about it or if it's part of your storyline, you will have wondered at some point what to do with your Sunday, the Sabbath day. You'll have thought, is it? Why did the Jews have it on a Saturday and why do some people do holy things on a Friday and why do we have it on a Sunday? You'll have sort of wrestled with that and you'll have sort of wrestled with, I think, if it's something that's dear to your heart, you'll have tried to and maybe, maybe this is a generational thing as well. You'll have approached it differently. You've thought, what, do, what am I supposed to do with this day? Is it all right to have a pint on a Sunday? Is it all right to watch um, the footy on a Sunday? That was a conversation in my house when I was growing up. Is it, should, I, should I just have my quiet time on a Sunday morning? Should I draw close to God? What should it look like? And another question, should I be experiencing more of his peace now? If I believe in this God and that his rest is behind me and before me, shouldn't I be a bit more rested? What am I? Why do I not feel more contented? Should I be striving for something else? And the Bible, by God declaring a, a day set apart for it to his people Israel, and by him asking us to be mindful of it, he elevates this idea of rest. He says, keep it holy. Something special about rest, God's rest. Something better than our rest about God's rest. It's a good way to live. This passage comes as a real, um, it's, been, it's been hugely helpful to me. Somebody like me who has, who has now got kids of his own, has gone from growing up in a Christian house to thinking about what it means to have a holy day to now trying to implement that in my own house. This passage has been incredibly helpful to me as I've thought about what it means that God's, God gives us rest and we are to separate ourselves in light, in light of that. So this passage, we're going to look at it just now. It's in Matthew chapter 12. It's just the tail end of Matthew 11. It shows us, I think, I think it will show us what holy rest is, what real rest is, but it shows us as well what it's like to aspire to it, to have it as part of your life, to own it. Two things that happen, I think, at the start of the text. I'll read out verse 1 through 3. At this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. The first thing I think that happens any time that we start to think about elevating a different way of life, think about God's holiness, verbalize it, aspire to it, own it ourselves, 
We are, tell me if you've not had this at some point in your life, we are scrutinized. You get looked at. People notice. If you start to say that there is a holy way of life, there's something holy, there's something you aspire to, we get looked at. You see where the disciples are in this storyline? Like Jesus goes to prominent places often. He's going to do in a bit in this story. But right now, they're out for a mosey. They're out for a, I don't think I've ever said mosey in my life. I don't know where that word came from. They're out for a walk at the edge of some fields. They are nowhere, making no kind of a statement. They are passing the time of day. And what's happening? They've been followed. Pharisees, these people who have got insight into God's law and looking to explain it, are following them. And are scrutinizing them to the extent, I don't know where, they, like, I don't know how far away they were. I'm pretty sure they didn't have binoculars or anything like that. So they must have been eye shot. And they were, they, were, they were focusing in on what they were doing to the extent that they were looking and noticing that they were eating some corn. They were being scrutinized. This happens, doesn't it, in our lives. Anytime we stand up and say, this is a better way of life, you get scrutinized. So if, if, if in your house... As I often have the habit of doing, being holier than thou sometimes, and I'll say, I think we all, you know, he says, I think we all need to start putting our stuff away. And I'm going to start doing that. What happens as soon as you say that? Everybody has got the beadies on you. Everybody is focused on you. I think I want everybody now to start putting all of their laundry into the laundry basket. And let's maybe even separate it out as we go. Everybody focuses in on the fact that I don't do that at all. Because when you, when you aspire to something like that, the focus comes back on you. And that happens all of the time. That is the story of the Christian, isn't it? Any time that you even, you can verbalize it, you can talk to your work colleagues about it, you can, you can maybe even just start to, it becomes part of your conversation that it's something you, you think might even be a possibility, holiness. People will scrutinize. That's the first thing that happens. Second thing that happens when you aspire to holiness is that you focus on the, on the details. You focus on the minutiae. I think that's a word. Maybe I should have checked it out. You know, like the tiniest little things. That's what happens when we think about what it, when, we, when we aspire to be holy. Do you see what's happening in this story? Now, they're, they're at the edge of the grain fields and they're eating corn. And this is a legitimate practice. You can read it about it in, Le, in Leviticus. They're not breaking the law here. It's all right for them to be chewing on the corn. That's, that's an all right thing for them to do. In fact, it's probably nearer to the heart of the commandment. But the Pharisees are zooming in on this idea. They're, they're microing in. They're zooming right in on whether this is a legitimate thing to do or not. They're focusing in really closely on the detail of this. Are they working? Are they breaking the law? Zooming right in. They're, they're having a snack. And the Pharisees zoom right in on this detail. I think that we all do this a little bit. When we aspire to any sort of new way of life, when we exalt any new way of life, let's say we have a healthy eating plan or something like that, we all put loads of little things in place. We have this nice ideal of losing a bit of weight or eating a bit better or being a slightly nicer person. But the reality is what you've got to do to get to that point is practical stuff. You write out details. You'll hide the biscuits. You'll get a fancy smartwatch that'll help you along. There becomes loads of little details along the way. We all do this with holiness. 
I think that we're all in this sort of ground with holiness. We're all trying to work out if we think it's if if we think that there was a God on a mountain who spoke to people who said you need to be holy, if we treasure God in that way, then we're all working out the practicalities of what holiness means. Should I what should I do with my Sunday? Should I do I do I have to come to church? Should I come to church more? What should I wear? Is what I wear important? Is that a significant thing? Do I need to have a quiet time every day? Do I need to have a quiet time at all? I'm sure God will forgive me that. We're all working out what holiness practically looks like. But do you see in our humanness where this kind of thing goes? Break this down for a second. Look who's, look who's here watching in on what's happening here. This is the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. The big theme throughout the Bible, this idea of God's perfect rest. This thing that we need, this peace in our heart, this security that comes from God, this assurance that comes from God. And what is happening to this? How has this been dealt with? How has this been broken down? You've got the Pharisees, you've got people who really should know God's law, and God's and Jesus' disciples, and they're arguing about corn. The Sabbath day, this, this God-ordained, God-given peace in our hearts for eternity, God-constructed, becoming a Barney, ridiculous, isn't it? It's crazy. Given the sort of lofty ideals of the Sabbath, given the lofty given the lofty nature of our God, given the high values he puts in us, that we spend so much time that we so quickly end up in the minute details. I can remember, this is my experience of Sabbath and trying to have a holy day. I lived in a cul-de-sac. All the kids would just play out. It was amazing, actually. All the kids would just play out all the time. Everyone wore tracksuits and hoodies and, and that sort of thing. It was just football and games all the time, except for me on a Sunday, and I'd go out, and my drive seemed very, very long. I'd have to walk right to the front, and I'd have Sunday gear on. Horrific, hand-me-down, halfway smart. You'd have to squint to look at me, Sunday gear on. And I used to feel the pain of it. And the Sabbath became, to me, this... Do I have to walk in front of my mates and wear a weird shirt? It became that. The Sabbath became that. It's amazing the minutia that our amazing faith turns into, isn't it? The weird little details that it becomes about. Churches fall out and split up and dissolve over what time the service should be at or what paint they should use for the walls. Churches end up in about tiny little details. We have, and it didn't drown in red tape. Some of the legislation, even that our government tries to pass, like amazing stuff with good intentions, ends up getting swallowed up in red tape. We can have relationships with each other that find their origin in love and romance and kindness and that are just deep relationships that stall on what, what do our relationship end up like sometimes? We end up arguing about who switched the lights off. Relationships end on this stuff. They end up being about 
this kind of stuff. God's Sabbath ends up with us often arguing about stuff. It's a little bit like the inventor of the internet. I think he's still alive. I might be wrong if he's not still alive. Finding his grandkids arguing about what filter they use on Instagram. The inventor of the internet. The internet! This amazing thing. And he comes in and he finds his grandkids arguing about the minutiae. Stuff that doesn't really matter. If the Sabbath, if this idea of holiness just becomes things we do or don't do, or an argument about what we should or shouldn't do, we've got nothing. This story, it desperately needs a better answer. It desperately needs the resolution to this story, this argument between the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples, not just to be a, well, we can do this because. It desperately needs not for it to go down that road. Jesus' response is brilliant. It gives us insight into what this thing is. This thing that maybe we've been trying to figure out if we've been Christians, if we've been near to Christianity, what this holy day is. He doesn't argue the toss about corn. He takes them back to the heart of the Sabbath. So read with me verses um, 3 through to 8. This is, this is how Jesus deals with this issue. This is how D- Jesus deals with us when we end up um, like this. This is what the Sabbath really is. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? So it's a like It's a story that's similar to his predicament, I guess, the theme of hungry. He entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do. It was only for the priests. And haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they're innocent? I'll tell you, something greater than the the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You wouldn't have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See what they forgot? Jesus reminds them of a story that had been really familiar to them. David, you know the story of David and Saul? We're going we're to come to it later on in the year. It's going to be a great series for us to look at. David meteoric rise, got into the the house, the royal household. Saul took against him. He had to leg it. Saul was going to kill him. Saul lost his mind and he was going to kill him at any point. And David had to run away. And as part of his fleeing in desperate circumstances, he ends up starving out in the sticks, comes across the temple, goes in there and says, I need something to eat. And the priest says, well, we've got nothing for you to eat. Well, we've got nothing that I can give you, but we've got some consecrated bread. You can have the consecrated bread. You see what the priest does? He sees, he sees the law in front of him. He sees how it's penciled in. He sees the minutiae of it, but he sees the heart of it as well. And he says, I see the detail, but I know that being merciful is the fulfillment of the law. I know that that is exactly what it's all about. David, have something to eat. Eat this. Jesus says to these Pharisees looking on, he says, you've 
as you've zoomed in on on other, as you've started to focus in on other people, as you've started to ring fence yourself and protect yourself and focus in on the minutiae, you've missed, you've missed the heart of what I was doing with this. See how easy it happens that we end up focusing in that our faith becomes something that it that it isn't. Jesus says you've missed the heart of this. My Sabbath, my big rest. It's not just about the minutiae or the details. He'll, uh, Paul will say to Colossians later on, this is just a shadow of what it's going to be anyway, but you've missed the heart of it. Here's some words that Isaiah wrote about the heart of what God wanted. And it's just one of many examples, not just from the New Testament, but when the law was in place in the Old Testament. Isaiah 58 says, is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen? God was... God was saying through Isaiah, it was just really fed up with the empty sacrifices and the narrowness of which they applied the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice to flesh and blood. The Sabbath, God's peace, is way bigger than the finite little arguments that we end up getting ourselves into. This is the first thing that he says. Don't miss. Don't miss in your, in your religious journey in your workings out of what God is doing through holiness. The hugeness, the depth, the vast grace of the love of God, even within his law. God's word says to us, it's way bigger than that. Jesus says, you've forgotten mercy. It's almost like, how have you forgotten mercy? Well, the truth is, actually, we do in this, the right sort of circumstances. Even put me in a car, put me in in the in the wrong circumstances, should I say? And all of a sudden, it's incredible how quickly mercy can go out of my mind. I zoom in on the specifics of how you should drive, and I focus on other people, and all of a sudden, I am merciless. We can forget mercy. And Jesus looks at these people who've zoomed in on the law, and he's like, "You've forgotten mercy. How? Holiness." at his heart is the breadth and depth of the love of God and it's his mercy. And Jesus says to these people here, to the Pharisees, he says, I, mercy that you've forgotten actually is right in front of you. It's here. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It is here in human form. Mercy is right in front of your noses. It's incredible, I think, how quickly, not just when I get into a car, but when any of us, I would say, take our eyes of God's gift of mercy in Jesus, that we can forget mercy, that we can reach a place where we are merciless and Jesus would look at us and go, what are you doing? You've forgotten mercy. How have you forgotten mercy? You've forgotten the heart of the law. But to know that something bigger is out there, to know that mercy is out there, is not enough. To get rest, it's not enough just to know that mercy is out there. Do you see where the situation goes next? Uh, we'll read through verses 9 and 12. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. <clears throat> so I love the way that Jesus, he goes after this. He doesn't duck the idea of the Sabbath. He doesn't let us run away and get the wrong end of the stick on what a holy day is. He goes, he goes, he chases it. He goes to their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. And seeing them there, uh, the Pharisees looked and turned it around, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. 
And just look how, try and grasp how nasty and how horrible, without a hitch, how horrible this moment is. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You've got a guy with a shriveled hand. I don't know exactly what that would have been like. A guy who's up against it already, and they are using him. Using him for the purpose of causing Jesus to stumble. They, it's just bait for Jesus in this moment. And they're forgetting the fact that Jesus could, they've seen Jesus do miracles. They forget that's just been forgotten altogether. And they're just trying to trip Jesus up. They're forgetting the guy who's not very well, and they're trying to trip Jesus up. It is merciless stuff. Jesus appeals to them. And this is what he says. If any of you, so this is second half of verse 11. Verse 11, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep, there are lots more sheep about in this part of the world at this time. Lots more people were shepherds. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful. He's like, I need to get you. It's no good you just knowing that mercy is out there. I need to get you to own this. I need to get you to respond to this. So his appeal speaks to them directly. And he says, you'd, you'd break the rules for a sheep. You'd break the rules for a sheep. You'd see the bigger picture for a sheep. And what he's saying to them is, it's more important that this, it's more important that this man gets healed there is mercy there for this man. That is more important. This man getting healed than you winning the legal arguments. It's more important like that. To get the rest, we need to recognize that for us, his mercy is better than us being able to prove ourselves worthy of it. To enter into his rest, we need to understand we need to comprehend that just being the recipients of the mercy of God is better than us being able to win an argument is better than us being able to prove ourselves worthy of something Jesus looks the disciples in the eye looks the Pharisees in the eye rather and he says this is what you need to get to get rest you need to see that to receive mercy from God is better it's better than you being able to articulate a reason why you're in the right right now but this is not an easy thing for us to do. This is not how we're geared up to rest, is it? When we think about rest, we think about, I think I'm from the mill. I, I, I overuse the mill, probably. It's not, but I'm from the mill. And when I think about rest, I think about working my nine to five, Monday to Friday, and then getting to Friday and thinking, well, I've, I've done all, you know, I've, I've worked hard, I'm exhausted, and I've earned this rest. That's how often we think of rest, isn't it? When we go and sit down at the end of the day, we think, done that now. I've earned this. I've worked hard and I'm exhausted. Therefore, I rest. We think that that's what rest is, but that's not the only thing that rest is. And that's not the rest that we're given. The rest that we're given, God institutes at creation. What kind of rest is that? God doesn't get to the seventh day and say, well, I'm exhausted. I'm tired out. I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to put my feet up now because I'm exhausted. God doesn't say that at all. Why does God rest on the seventh day? God rests on the seventh day because he looks back at everything that he's done and he says, that's perfect. 
That's good. The rest he's got is not an exhaustion. It's not I've earned this. It's I can glory in this. It's perfect. It's a different kind of a rest. One of the most famous, famous, most famous Sabbath stories um, is the story of the 1924 Olympics. Are you familiar with this story? Are you familiar with the film Chariots of Fire, the slow motion running scene across the beach at St. Andrews? I'm, as I'm, it's really funny. You look across and you think, I can sort of almost spot the age in which people go, oh, I know this, I know this film. Another one's going, no, not, you've, this reference is not for me. Ash. Chariots of Fire. It's an amazing, it's an amazing, it's a really cool film. It's an amazing film. It's about, the, it's about two guys who were running, competing to run the 100 meters. And on, on one level, you look at it, and it, there's a guy called Eric Little who doesn't, won't run, won't compete on, I think it's the semi-final or whatever. I can't remember the specifics of it. He won't compete because it's on the Sabbath. And on one level, there is this sort of moral point that the film makes. I'm going to honor my God, and I'm not going to compete on the Sabbath. That's on one level. But on a deeper level, the film really cleverly contrasts two characters, Harold Abrahams and Eric Little. Harold Abrahams is the guy who ends up winning the 100 meters. He ends up, ends up winning the 100 meters. He's an English guy. But he says this um, before he wins it, feeling the pressure of it. He says to people listening in to the press, I think, I've got 10 seconds to prove my existence. I've got 10 seconds to prove my existence. I've got to prove it. This is what's in front of me. Eric Little famously says, quite a different tone, a different perspective. He says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I sense it. You see the difference in these two guys? Now, Harold Abrams ended up winning, but even when Harold Abrams was at rest, he was pretty exhausted. Whereas even when Eric Little was running his heart out, he knew perfect rest he knew what it was to have his loving savior look on him and know that all his eternal future was secure we don't have to get to the bottom of any arguments to find rest we don't have to wrestle anymore we've got nothing to prove that's not what rest is do you see how amazing rest is see how beautiful and brilliant it is to know that we are in the hands of the God of eternity. To know that he's got it mapped out in front of him. Verse 13 goes on to say, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the others. And the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. The big deal with rest is that we need to know, we need to live in the light of the fact that only God gives it. That is the best kind of rest. He says beautifully, I think in verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is 
Right. What could get us to that place? So I think about this in my 42-year-old body, still constantly wanting to prove myself, constantly, occasionally feeling inadequate, constantly in arguments, still wrestling what the Sabbath means. What could get us, me, to the point where I relax and I realize there's no sense in me chasing after that. There's no prize in that for me, that God's mercy is better than that. What could, what on earth could get me there? There's only one thing that could get us there. You know what the Sabbath is? Sabbath is God's gift to us. It's God's gift to us, and we see it in Jesus. You see what he says? He says, come to me. See the heart of his appeal. You see him looking on with love at these people, wrestling with what it means to be holy and getting it wrong. See what he says to them? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all you who are finding this road really, really heavy. He says, unburden yourselves. Or he says, what are you carrying around with you? Drop it. That's what the Sabbath is. And we find it in Jesus.